This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome everyone to the next episode on the podcast channel. My name is Kayla and today I'm beyond excited because I have Karen Curry Parker on here with me and we're going to have an incredible conversation. I'm so excited to talk with her about her experience with human design and just the evolution that she's experienced with it in the last several decades of being in this work. So without further ado, Karen, welcome to the podcast channel. I would love if you can share your design and then share where you are in the world and then and we're just going to dive into a beautiful conversation together. Uh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm a four, six manifesting generator or in quantum human sign. We say I'm a four, six time bender. I am literally geographically in the middle of uh, a small town in Wisconsin where I have moved um, because my sackle told me to go here, uh, which is kind of a funny, a funny journey. But if you follow your strategy, sometimes it takes you into surprising places. And especially I think if you have a sackle, it you, you respond to weird things sometimes. But uh, I would certainly say after being a student of human design since 1999, uh, I have learned that what, what the sacral says goes. So we follow the sacral, <laughs> and uh, even though the mind wants to do something else. As I said, I've been, a, I think of myself still as a student of human design, because to me, human design itself is an evolving body of knowledge. It's a living, I, you know, I think it's a living entity of information. And uh, certainly I would say it's a study, a course of study that I have been I feel very privileged to have been a part of since 1999. I first started my journey with human design when I was a homeschooling soccer mom with four kids in Houston, Texas. My husband at the time uh, came home from a spiritual treat in Sedona, Arizona and brought a human design chart with him. And uh, I looked at the chart. He showed me the chart and I just had this experience that I think a lot of people have where it just like, it called me and I literally held that chart and cried. And I, you know, I haven't done expos in a lot of years, but when I used to do expos and I used to put up a banner of the body graph, you know, I knew at a certain point, I was like, I better have tissues here because people are going to cry and people would come and they'd stand in front of the body graph and they cry um, because it's, there's just something about it that feels very familiar, I think, to people and very profound. They don't always know what it is, but it feels very f- profound. So I certainly had that same experience of just feeling like, literally, I, I tell people, it's like when I saw the chart for the first time, I felt like almost like a gong went off or a bell went off in my heart. And I knew instantly, like, I have to go study everything I need to about that. I What I didn't know at that time but what I know now is like, that was, that was my sacral. It was just my sacral just responding in, in this huge way. So we put our house on the market and we sold it within two weeks. We packed up the kids, loaded up the truck literally, and drove to Sedona, Arizona, which was at that time where the headquarters for Human Design America was located. When I got to Sedona, one of my kids, my youngest son, had an ear infection. So I took him to the pediatrician. And uh, after our our pediatrician's visit, I had, you know, this little three-year-old on my hip and I came out of the pediatrician's office with this kid on my hip. And I looked across the hallway and on the door across from the pediatrician's office, there was a a body graph, a human design chart basically on the, on the door. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go in there. So I opened up the door and it was a tiny little office and there was a huge desk in there with a little woman behind the desk with, with shocking white hair. Um, And she said to me, Oh, did you come for the job? And I said, yep. (laughs) And she hired me there on the spot. That was actually the headquarters for human design America. Uh, My boss was Marianne Winnegar and uh, I worked for human design America for, and had the privilege of studying and learning with Ra, And of course, being a part of the organization until 2005 when I left the organization. So it was an incredible, just a very weird series of events and uh, just sort of magical and synchronous. And, 
you know, as, as you know, I've been part of human design ever since I've written, I haven't done a head count lately on how many books I've written. I know this year I published three, two of them have not been released yet. I have a new book coming out October 26th. This is 2022. Uh, I have another book coming out in December. And then of course, every year we have our annual uh, quantum human design evolution guide, which is a, an, uh, a, a calendar basically that walks you through the solar transits for the year and gives you insights on how to use the solar transits to guide your weekly choices and uh, energy. I loved hearing all of that. And it was so cool to hear how you really did follow that sacral response of like things showed up in your environment that you responded to. And I think that's so amazing. I'm really curious, what was it like for you? Because for me, when I find out that I was a sacral generator, and just the listeners know, I only have my G center and my sacral defined. But when I found out that I was a sacral generator, I think the most prominent thing that showed up for me was understanding why I was frustrated for so long. And I had found, (laughs) I had found frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, it was like, and I know that's like the biggest thing that Ra wants to do is like shock people with the not self of like, you know, this is what it is when you're out of alignment. And so for me, it was like, I didn't discover, I think the first time I heard about human design was in 2019. And that's at the age around of when I turned 29 and I'm a six too. So I'm like coming onto the roof and it's very much like, oh, I can just see this all just makes so much sense now. Like looking back at that first phase of my life, but I, I just remember understanding and just feeling such a relief of like, oh, this is why I'm frustrated. And then when I actually understood how to follow my sacral and as I've been embodying that the last couple of years, it's just made such a difference. So I'm really curious how that impacted you discovering that you were a manigen and then also just or a time bender actually also we're going to talk more about your quantum language as well but I would just love to hear that initial impact because I feel like this is something that's always really liberating for people as well I will say that when I first got my chart probably like everybody I was like oh I'm for sure a manifester um and I was like a manifesting generator and I was like well what does that mean and I would certainly say at that point in time this was really probably right around the time when when Ra stopped classifying a manifesting generator as a manifester. Because in the beginning, manifestor, manifesting generators were classified as manifestors because his definition of a manifestor was a definition from the motor, from a motor to the throat. And at a certain point, he was like, no, nah, manifesting generators are actually generators. And um, so I was like, I'm just so not a generator. I don't wait for anything. What is this waiting thing? This is ridiculous. And I was gutted. I mean, I was really gutted. Like what? <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I teach emotional authority a little bit differently than traditional human design. You know, I am, I am the person that traditional human design people make SpongeBob SquarePants memes out of on Instagram. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the outlier here. Um, and and when I teach about the emotional themes for types, I talk about how it's not necessarily a symptom of alignment. It's it's oftentimes giving you key integral bits of information about where you are in your creative process. So, you know, I definitely grappled with the idea of frustration and the idea of, oh, I'm frustrated, therefore I must be out of alignment for a lot of years. And I actually personally found that to be quite confusing because it, you know, when when I first started following my strategy, and let me say I, I met human design in 1999, I probably really didn't start following my strategy till about 2005. I really resisted the waiting thing. It was very, very hard for me as a manifesting generator. Like it just was the most unnatural thing in the world. Now, in my hair, in my history, in my conditioning field, I was raised by two 3420 manifesting generators with will centers defined. My brother is a 3420 manifesting generator with a defined will center. My sister is a manifest an ego manifester. So I was, I have an undefined will. And, and so I'm the only person in my family with an open will. So to me, I think that added a little bit of an extra element to, Hey, I don't need to wait. I could just use my willpower, but you know, waiting, learning to slow down enough to see what unfolds, which is, I think, universal for all five types, you know, learning to slow down enough to see what unfolds and and learning to take the time. And I'm like you, I'm a, I'm a sacral generated authority, but learning to, to take the time to 
really go, okay, what's in my field? Where am I at? Just, just to be present to the sacral response and slowing down enough to get all of, not all, I, mean, I don't think anybody ever gets all, but certainly to get a lot of my hidden agendas and, and condition conditioning out of the way, I think has, has taught me to trust that something good is going to show up and I can just be in that waiting space. But the frustration, you know, the frustration doesn't go away. And I, this is, a, this is again, a, a, definitely their SpongeBob SquarePants memes about this theme in particular. <laughs> um, you know, I teach that your emotional theme is a way in which you can gauge for yourself where you are in your creative process, how, and, and how healthy you are in your G deconditioning journey. And, you know, for each type, we have to really go back to the emotional theme and interpret it differently, because I think there's a little bit of a mythology in the way traditional human design is being taught that says, oh, you know, follow type and strategy and poof, voila, you'll never experience your emotional theme again. All of life will be bliss, bliss, bliss. And you'll be, you know, and unless you have an emotional wave, then you'll have like variations of bliss. And I have found in coaching people and, and no, my, my original background is in coaching. I was actually trained as one of the very first life coaches in the world in 1998. I studied with Thomas Leonard, who's considered to be one of the fathers of life coaching. You know, my background is in coaching and my background is in supporting people in, you know, on a journey of transformation. And I've never met anybody that's not either angry, bitter, disappointed, <laughs> or frustrated. And that doesn't go away because life is dynamic. So for me, the frustration is not about being out of alignment. Frustration says, uh, really, uh, uh, for me, uh, and this is true for all generator types, the way I teach it, is that when you are experiencing frustration, it means that you've gone through a growth cycle, that you've had an initial surge in mastery, you've, you've really you know, gotten all the skills, knowledge, experience, et cetera, that you need to get for this particular place of where you are in the cycle. And now you're feeling frustrated but that frustration isn't a signal to quit. And I think that's an important piece to talk about because for the generator types, especially one of the biggest problems is quitting. And I would say premature quitting because the, the purpose of the generator soul curriculum is to learn how to learn, to become an expert at the learning process. It's not about becoming an expert at ballet or an expert at the violin or an expert at whatever. It's about becoming an expert at becoming an expert. And that frustration piece is really a signal that says, hey, I've really completed a stage in my learning process. And right now I'm sitting in this space where I've gotten under my belt the experience that I need to be ready for the next level, if you will. And that frustration is giving me a signal that momentum is building. And that in this part of my learning process, I need to be present to what's showing up because I'm definitely on the cusp of a breakthrough. And that breakthrough is either gonna be an opportunity that's gonna take me to the next level of knowing what it is I'm learning. It's gonna move me to the next level of learning how to become more of an expert at whatever I'm doing, or it's gonna give me an opportunity to respond to something that's gonna then show me how do I get out of my relationship with whatever it is that I'm doing correctly. Because you even, you know, you do have to quit correctly. When Ra taught about manifesting generators, one of the things that he used to talk about is if you're going to quit, don't just wake up and go, I'm frustrated and now I'm quitting. Because if you're responding to quitting because you're frustrated, you're not actually responding. You're having an emotional reaction. That's not responding. And so you really have to wait to see what's going to show up. And that frustration is sort of like a little signal that says, hey, pay attention because something's about to change. So is it going to be a change in course and direction? Is there going to be something new you're going to learn? Do you need to leave what you're working on right now? Or is there going to be another opportunity where you take what you're working on right now and go to the next level? I don't think I've ever been so excited about being frustrated now. <laughs> right? I know my clients hate me because they're like, I'm so frustrated. I'm like, that's awesome. You're about to a breakthrough and they're like no <laughs> yes oh that was such a powerful reframe because for me when when I was interpreting being frustrated it's like okay where am I initiating like where am I not waiting to respond 
And that's what I kept looking at instead of just trusting that, oh, maybe I've actually mastered what I meant to master in this context. And we're about to go into, you know, a new paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I love that so much. And one of the things that I've definitely been sharing in the online space for sacral beings is this concept of wait to respond. I say wait to respond to the environment because we're meant to be co-creative. And so when I say this to people and I'm like, are you responding to your environment? Or are you responding to your ideas? You know, the things that are going on in your mind, and especially because the majority of the population are going to have that head center undefined. It's like, it's so easy to be overwhelmed with, oh, what about this? What about this? Or how do I get the answer for this? And then there's like, oh, Yes, it excites me to find the answer to that, but then it's not actually a co-creative process with the environment. So I feel like that's something, I'm curious what you think about that because that's something that I, when I realized this, it got me out of my head and back into my sacral. And I, I have this conversation with like every sacral being that I ever do a reading with, that I ever do coaching with, and it just always hits the nail on the head for them. Uh, first of all, I love that you articulate it that way. That's a really beautiful way to say that. And I love that you talk about the creative process being co-creative, because I do think that in a lot of the way that traditional human design is interpreted, there's a sort of cold, like we just follow the program. We say, uh-huh, uh-huh, and there we go. And the next thing you know, we're just, it's kind of creepy. Personal opinion, personal opinion. Um, and, and, and so that's actually one of the reasons why I left traditional human design in 2005. I was like, this isn't vibing with all of my own internal understanding that I have from, you know, at that point in time, I hadn't been doing TM as long as I've been doing it now, but I've been a meditator for 37 years now. And when I'm, you know, I was doing TM for about 10 years before I met human design. And I thought, you know, this is not, this isn't feeling, my sacral's not responding to the way this is being interpreted. I, here's how I t teach this. And this, I'm almost hesitant to say this because I think, first of all, it's going to make people mad. Um, and secondly, it's a little bit disruptive, but, but, he, you know, I have a very different interpretation of the seven year deconditioning cycle and why waiting is really so essential for all types and all types wait. I mean, even the manifestors have to wait for alignment. Right. And so I mean, we have this instruction, if you will, from human design that says we have to wait. And I think we all have to wait because we have become so addicted to doing and in particular doing for the most part as a way of proving our value because we also all mostly have open wills. And, you know, we come from a society that says, you know, the, if you want to make money or you want to be successful, you got to work. And if you want to be more successful or make more money, you got to work harder. And we're, we're so deeply conditioned to be busy and to be doing, 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 it's almost as if the wisdom of the voice in sharing the transmission and the importance of the waiting part of the strategy is really just to help people stop moving long enough to get reconnected to cosmic mind. Because I, I don't believe that the program, we're just, you know, automatons following a program. I really do believe that we are collaborating with cosmic mind or the divine or God or whatever you want to call it as part of an evolutionary process. And that we're not hapless victims of the unfolding of a program that we're part of generating that program and consciousness and choice are essential aspects of that program unfolding through us. And so is desire, by the way. And, you know, I think that in human design, we kind of poo poo desire as sort of an artifact of the mind. And I would say that, you know, if you've sat still for seven years and sat and learned, or maybe I would say remembered to trust in the infinite abundance of source, and you've remembered what your own inner connection to source sounds like. I mean, to me, the sacral is God, right? That's, that's God's response. That's God responding through my body, right? Telling me this is the place for you to go. And I would say, and I have to, I have to put, sort of put an asterisk upon this. I do have a defined head anajna. So it may be that my experience of hearing my inner voice or my inner, inner cadence of the divine in my mind is might be different than someone with an undefined head anajna. But I do believe that we all have this inherent, deep, rich relationship with our inner wisdom and with source. 
And that waiting part is not about we follow this way of creating for the rest of our lives. It's almost like it's a band-aid, a spiritual band-aid that, so, that, that the voice gave us through human design that says, guys, stop, just stop for a minute. Look, I am talking to you and I love you and I want you to be abundant. I mean, we look at the chart, the program, I mean, the, the, the blueprint of the human story says we're designed to be abundant and, and our abundance gets created through faith in the 55. It gets created through responding, meaning you have to wait and see what shows up through the 14-2. And by the way, let's not forget that the two is wildly receptive, right? It's not, I'm going to do, do, do. It's that I'm going to follow the cues and the clues. That's the 14 so that I can position myself to receive all the resources that I need going up from the, to the one eight through the G to fulfill the full expression of who I am, right? That's, that's the promise of abundance in the chart. The 2145, the money line, right? Says when I am enough and I create in response to my own enoughness and my cup is overflowing, that's that work to rest, right? I take what I have and I share it. The 21 has enough because it's managing it enough so that there's more than enough to share. It's sustainable. It's giving it to the king or the queen in the 45. And the king and the queen is saying, yeah, we got plenty, let's share. Right. It's not, ooh, let me take my own and I'm going to have all this wealth. And I'm that's not, that's the shadow expression of those energies. So we're really designed to create through faith, through trusting the unfolding of what's in front of us, and to take what we have and to sustain ourselves, and then ultimately turn around and share what we have with others. That's, you know, when we look at that as, as part of the blueprint of the story. You know, first of all, we have to move into a deep trust of the story. And oftentimes that, that involves healing, that involves deconditioning, that involves getting ourselves out of this story of, I got a, you know, survival of the fittest or, you know, the shadow expression of the material era. And it involves us ultimately then saying, I'm, a, I'm an emissary of the divine. I have a deep connection myself to that voice. And when we're still for long enough, and we start to trust the unfolding of our natural state of abundance and alignment and self-expression and power. When we live from that place after that seven-year deconditioning process, the other thing that I think happens is we start to hear the voice of the divine of source in our heads. And then I think at that point, we can go back and say, I have an idea. And I hear this idea and I understand that the way this idea is being articulated in my head is not my idea, it's source talking through me. And at that point, I can stop responding strictly to my environment and I can start explore, exploring and experimenting. I would certainly say, don't just say, well, Karen said we can just trust our head. I'm going to say, start experimenting with, is the, you know, is this guidance? Is this guidance that I can trust? I, I want to break this down one more level, if you don't mind, Kayla. Yeah, go for it. Because when we look at this from a quantum level, your brain is a manifested thing. It already exists in the third dimensional reality, right? It's a, it's, it, your brain is processing thoughts. So your third dimensional brain is already processing thoughts. Now the question is, well, where do the thoughts come from, right? And we know that for those of us who have an open head and ajna, some of those thoughts are coming from the world around us. But when you're in the shower, and you get that insight, right? Because now you're out of the stress. You're in this high dopamine, relaxed state. The water's warm. You're, you just had a good night's sleep, right? When you're in that sweet space and you get that boom download, right? Where is it coming from? And the fact that it's in your physical brain already says you're actually capable of responding to that because it's already manifested because your brain's already processing it. So, you know, you are actually responding to the material world when it's showing up in your brain, provided that you have taken enough time to really tease out the difference between source, download, spiritual connection, you know, divine inspiration versus monkey mind, right? Or your conditioned thinking. And, you know, that that definitely, I mean, basically what I'm saying is that at a certain point, you can kind of drop the strategy piece 
if you're if you're aware and conscious but you have to go through that deconditioning process before i would say just go for that um you know you definitely want to be clear that okay i can hear the difference between my own thoughts versus divine inspiration and they sound different they have a different cadence and oftentimes they feel differently and our and i will say for me personally as a factful being I respond to those and I will tell you, I've responded to those inspirations with great success and they haven't been failures and they haven't been like, oh, well, that was just my mind. They've been phenomenal. And I don't want to discount that as part of our human story and our co-creative collaborative human story, but you can't do that right off the bat. You have to practice and learn and, or remember. I think the biggest thing that I just got out of that beautiful share was when we were talking about this co-creative process. And I think that a lot of people just automatically think that a co-creative process means doing something with something else, like physically doing something. But the way that you talked about trust and faith and the divine downloads is like, this is a co-creative process in the sense that there's an interaction happening, whether it's, you know, an emotional interaction or like literal communication, or you're taking physical action. I think that for me, just the way you explain that just brought so much clarity. And I love that you emphasize like having that awareness of, you know, are you responding to the divineness within you or are you responding to scarcity or conditioning and so on? And I think that that's so important because when I, I love to talk about human design from a business lens, like I work with entrepreneurs and I use human design as a tool in business. And a lot of the times when I talk with people who are taking action in their business or cycle being, it's like, oh yeah, I had this idea or this coach, I should said I should do this or this marketing tactic and so on. And then I had this idea, but it wasn't like their pure inner knowing of how they want to show up. And I think that's the difference. And so I really love that you just like played in this nuance because I think it just brought a lot of clarity. And I hope that if people listening are like that little explosive emoji, you know, the brain emoji, just like what? Because it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you appreciated it. And I love that. I love that you're, you're teaching about business from that lens as well, because, you know, I, I'm actually in the middle of writing a book right now called Business by Design. And um, I'm 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 like, oh, I'm going to so get, you know, I'm not a fifth line, but I play one on TV. They are going to so ride me out of town on rails, tarred and feathered. But I'm really basically wanted to share with people the design of business. First of all, if we look at the design of business, it's actually manifested. And so that doesn't make sense that that so many of us are called to business, but yet, you know, we're, we're, we're having to create it in this way that's very foreign to many of us. The design of business says you are here to use the power of your personal self, the will, your which is an aspect of heart, right? The will and the G are part of the heart chakra. You're here to use your heart and your work, your, your personal will to support people in the transformation from fear, that's the spleen, right? From fear and pain into personal empowerment and abundance and sustainability. That's the purpose of business and it's unilateral. And frankly, the single most important thing you can do to be successful in business is be aligned with the service that you have to offer. And don't worry about type. I see so many people trying to be like, well, how do I market by type? I sit by myself and no one's going to come see my website. Do the things that, you know, website attraction isn't a human design issue. Website attraction is about Google metrics and it has nothing to do with human design. You know, it has everything to do with, do you have a, a relevant and current website that speaks clearly to your client? And that's, that's so important because I'll tell you, and, and, and I'm not ragging on the projector. So don't send me hate mail. Cause I, I know a lot of really powerful empowered projectors who are doing extraordinarily well in business. And if you don't decondition, you bring your garbage to your, your business. And then you don't realize that it's not a, this boy that said that wrong. It's not your garbage. You bring your conditioning to your business. It's not garbage. It's just head trash, right? You bring that into your business and it's going to reflect in the way in which you engage in business. So if let's say if you have an undefined throat or a non-motorized throat, 
and you need attention and recognition because you haven't deconditioned that, then when your clients land on your website and they see, you know, three quarters of the website is your headshot. And then the rest of the, the, the cover of the webpage is going to be your bio. And there's nothing on that webpage that says, Hey, are you hurting? Are you okay? Let's talk about what's going on with you. I have some solutions that I think could help you get out of pain. You know, if you don't have that on your website, because your conditioning has been like, I need recognition, I need recognition then you're not going to sell. And it has nothing to do with marketing by design or selling by design or business by design and everything to do with you didn't clean up your head trash first. You didn't clear the, the pain in your own heart about your own authentic self-expression and it's bleeding out all over your marketing message. And that's not design. That's just heal your self-worth first so you can be a better guide for anyone regardless of your type. I feel like one of the biggest things that I always share with projectors, my boyfriend is a 6'3 splenic projector. He has a wide split, head and ajna, spleen and root defined. And I'm constantly witnessing him in, in the corporate space and really helping him be like, how can you recognize yourself so that people are seeing you recognize yourself and you're yeah. literally showing them how to treat you? And he's been at this recent role for just over six months and the amount of recognition that he's received and the fact that he's so open to human design, like we have legitimate human design conversations where I can look at things and his shadows and I even bring in the gene keys and I'm talking to him about these things. And it's like, you have to recognize yourself, like be that lighthouse and yeah, oh, you're bitter. Maybe it's because you're running around initiating all these things. And yes, you can see things that people can't see, but you can ask for the invitation. That's the other thing I love to share with projectors is that you don't just have to wait for the invitation. Just like I say, like respond to the environment. This is like a little nugget for the sacral being. For the projectors, I love saying like, you can ask for the invitation. And if it's a no, then you save your wisdom so that you can be respected when you do share it and it does actually make an impact. And so it's it's so interesting because I love having human design as a tool because in business, it's like when when these people experience are not self-themed, it's like, okay, how can we work around this where it doesn't have to be so cut and dry? And I know that recognition is a really big thing for projectors, but it's like, that's why I always talk about this. How can you recognize yourself first? Because then when you're being seen, you're being seen as someone who's recognizing themselves. You're being witnessed in recognition. And I think that that, would, that will manifest more of that. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. So I, I love that what you said, I'm super like, I, I'm just very excited to hear you say that because I don't hear people say that a lot. And, and I want to make sure I, I don't want to target this straight to projectors, because I'll tell you the single biggest thing that anyone can do to be successful in business is to heal your self-worth. And that's true across the board for every single one of us. Then that part of that is just strictly because of the relationship between self-worth value and your ability to convey value in the marketplace because you can't stand in your own value in the marketplace if you have questions about your own value it just there's no way to hide that and so you know you have to absolutely heal that first so that you can hold your value in the marketplace so what i teach about projectors and we go, going back to the emotional themes that the emotional theme for the projector is bitterness and the emotional theme of the projector bitterness is really a signal and it's a signal that first of all says, hey, I'm out of alignment with my value. And part of what happens is when the projector gets out of alignment with their value, then they try to prove their worth. And oftentimes they try to prove their worth by doing. And so what happens is not only are they out of alignment with their value, they, they become desperate to take any invitation they can get. And so out of alignment with that value, they take the wrong invitation because they're like, I got an invitation instead of, oh, does this really reflect my value or not? The second thing that happens is when a projector gets out of alignment with their value, they fail to rest properly because in our culture, we're told you can't rest unless you've earned it or deserved it, right? And so if you're taking the wrong invitations, pushing too hard, working with people who don't see your value, you're not holding your value. And now you're not resting because you can't, you don't know when enough is enough and you're pushing, 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 trying to prove that value, then you burn out. And so, you know, the bitterness is really a signal that, oh, I'm depleted. And, oh, I'm depleted because 
I haven't valued myself. And I love this idea of, you know, you recognize yourself. That's part of you saying, hey, I deserve better. I'm worth only accepting the invitations that are a reflection of my wisdom, knowledge, power, et cetera. And I'm not going to take your invitation that isn't worthy of me. And I'm not going to commit energy that I don't have for an invitation that doesn't reflect my value. And I'm going to acknowledge myself. I'm going to recognize myself by holding the line on those boundaries around my value. And I, you know, projectors always ask me, well, how do I get an invitation? I'll tell you, if you stand in the energy field of a projector that has a healed sense of self-worth, you will fight. You'll have to sew your lips together to not invite them into something. Like you can't help but invite them into stuff when they're standing in that value. They are so compelling. You know, we talk about aura types, right? We say that the projector can repel people. Well, that repulsion is really the that's that's the artifact of the bitterness. Well, the bitterness is really a protective thing. Bitterness. Because if you have a projector that's bitter because they're depleted, they need to be pushing people away because they don't need to be getting invitations right now, especially if they're taking the wrong ones. They need to be like, okay, I'm all alone now and I have nothing to do. Good, because you need to heal. That's the purpose of that. And when you heal yourself, you won't be able to control the invitations coming at you. And so be discerning when you get to that point, because then you'll have all the choices you want. Because people will be like falling all over themselves to invite you because your energy is infectious at that point. I love this. Oh, this conversation is just, I'm so excited right now. Sacral is lit. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, one of the things that I do, I mean, we're kind of going down the business rabbit hole, but what I really want to dive into is I love looking at, because I think that when we talk about types, it can be very limiting in the sense like, oh, you know, marketing by generators, like marketing by reflectors, like we just, it's very boxed in. And so one of the things that I've done with my coaching and my business is that I love to look at conscious and unconscious charts. Because mm -hmm. for example, a manifesting generator can consciously be a projector, unconsciously be a sacral generator, and then, you know, unconsciously be a reflector like you can have multiple layers and it's been really interesting as I coach people from this lens of like oh okay yes you're a manifesting generator but you also have this unconscious reflector side how does that play into your life like do you notice that you actually have these monthly rhythms like there's very interesting things to consider where I love looking at the multitude of layers when it comes to like business or just living and and that kind of thing and going beyond just the one type and I'm really curious to hear what your experience has been with that, because I feel like obviously traditional human design, like before manifesting generators were like boxed in with generators and then they were with manifestors. And for me, I just see them all separately. And then there's like even more depth to that. So I would love to kind of go into this little rabbit hole with you. It is a big rabbit hole. It's not a little rabbit hole. <laughs> no, I, I would say, you know, if you look at, again, the, the mutations of human design and you, you look at like, say, for example, the work of Eleanor Haspel Portner, I would even say work, look at the work of Richard Rudd, look at the work of Kim Gold and all of the exploration that she's done around feminine archetypes and asteroids in the chart. I think she has a book coming out in December about that, which is, I mean, she's phenomenal. You know, I, I think I, I've sat with that for a long time and, and grappled with, you know, conscious, unconscious, this, that, all these layers. And I, I think, and part of it is just, you know, I'm a manifesting generator, so I got to find the bottom line, right? <laughs> so, you know, for me, I think what I've really decided is that we all have all of the chart. And, you know, and I think that that there's a, there's a way in which we talk about human design that we have to really be mindful of, because you'll see people say things like, well, I don't have a throat or I don't have a root and I don't, and it's like, mm, hold up. You have the entire human genome within your cells. You also have the entire human design chart within your energy field. The difference is that you will use it, the definition or your experience of your definition and even your conscious and unconscious will be different than your openness. But that doesn't mean you don't have or you can't choose those themes or use those themes or draw from those themes. It just means that's not the consistent part of your soul curriculum. That's the open variable part of your soul curriculum. And so 
you know, I, 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 I'm, I, the way I just try to keep it simple and, and look at what's transiting. Sometimes what's transiting is really important. I certainly would say exploring the relationship between conscious and unconscious is essential. And it, sometimes in terms of timing, but certainly in terms of looking at where's the conundrum in the chart. And I think every chart has a conundrum in it. And I certainly would say exploring what I think is the fundamental difference between definition and openness. And that is the theme of sustainability. The thing about definition is that we have consistent sustainable access to the themes in our definition all the time. We have inconsistent access to our openness but here's the thing, when you understand openness well enough, like when you really get like, for example, in your chart, when you really understand like, wow, I have this profoundly open will center, right? And you really recognize that and you understand it and you know what will center energy feels like. And like, you can walk into a room and be like, oh, there's that will center. And it's kind of, we like the will center, right? At least I do. It's juicy and it's sort of like, Ooh, right? But you, when you understand that energy, you can actually borrow it. You can borrow it temporarily. You might not use it. You shouldn't use it because it's not a sustainable energy for use, but it's an archetype that you can borrow in the short run. And so you can use your openness once you understand it and you, you recognize that openness is kind of like a big basket and all your life you've been putting gems in that basket. And now you're looking at this basket and you're like, oh, I could use this variation, this gem of the will center energy in this particular situation. Or, oh man, I have a client that's just really stuck. I need to probably pull out my conditioned experience of the 51 here and be like, zip, if you don't stop doing that, zip, this is what's going to happen to you. That's not your most natural way of handling it, but you might need to borrow that for a short run, right? And then you start to realize, oh, I can flash on and off all of this chart as needed. I'm probably not going to be able to flash off the definition that much. That's who I am. That's what I'm designed to get impact and give to the world. But I can borrow these themes from all these other pieces and use them. You know, I'm, I don't get into timing that much in terms of conscious and unconscious in terms of coaching and marketing. I really look more at where did the idea come from? How much excitement do you have around the idea of whatever it is that you're selling? And are you aligned with the service that you're offering? Are you doing it out of pure service or are you doing it because you've got a conditioned theme going on here? And if you've cleared whatever needs you might have to demonstrate some aspect of your conditioning, and you're really like, I got this idea. I think it has, you know, the power to really transform pain into something beautiful, something powerful. I'm really super excited about it. The, the, as I'm continuing to build towards getting this out into the world, all the signs keep showing up that say, yes, 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 yes. And I'm really like my enthusiasm is in it, that's what's going to ultimately end up selling. And it won't matter if your website's beautiful or not. It won't matter what kind of sales copy you use or not. Obviously, there will be some things you can tweak along the way, but really what's going to sell is your authentic alignment. Because the truth is what people really want more than anything in the world is authentic alignment. And they'll buy it from you when they see it, even if they don't know that's what they're actually buying, because what they really want is the promise that, hey, I can be who I am too, and it's okay. And that's, I think, sort of the secret sauce to, to sales. Yes, I love that. I love that in our conversation, like even considering that you've come from the traditional lens of human design, like we're really addressing all the nuances and the fluidity and just not having it be so black and white, because I found that that's what's empowered me the most. And I really love what you were saying about the open centers, because obviously I have seven of them undefined in my chart and three of them are completely open. And it's, it's funny too, because we keep talking about the will center and you were talking about how most of your family members or all of them, when you were growing up, had that defined heart center. And I look at when, you know, when I looked at my parents' chart, like my mom 
and my dad, like they both have their heart center defined. My dad is an ego manifester and my mom is a splenic projector. And so it's so interesting when I consider, okay, I only have my sacral defined to my G center. I have an undefined root center, but somehow like I always thought I had so much drive and willpower. And it was literally because like you said, I had this little gem in my little will center basket and was like, I'm going to use this. But it was never, like you said, it was never sustainable. So it's like now I love having this awareness of human design and being able to be like, okay, this is not sustainable for me, but I can use it for a little while. But I need to come back to that sacral and be like, what is it that's lighting me up right now? What is it that is connected to the direction that I'm going in? What is it that I identify with? Because that's the recurring conversation going on between those two centers defined in my chart. So I just, I love that there's so many like tangible things here, but then there's so many nuances. Like it's just so, it's so freeing. I feel like that's just kind of the, the experience that I was having from listening to that last tangent that you just shared with us. I, well, and I appreciate that because I do think that going back to source materials and how Ra talked and spoke, I mean, definitely, I think Ra had some pretty fixed ideas about his interpretation of the voice and you know we have to remember Ra had a defined Ajna right I mean he had his own <laughs> interpretation and and you know his he was like an initiator to the nth degree every aspect of Ra's chart was about initiating people bringing you know being the seed the seminal piece of information and using you know unusual mutative information to wake people up through that 5125 right he you know and through the you know through all the parts of his chart i mean it's, he was a very individual person by design and you know if you go back and you go and listen to the the or, you know the original or if you original teachings or if you have the privilege of having actually sat in a room with him i mean he was I've never had an experience of learning from someone the way that I had with Ra. I mean, you would sit in a room for a week and he would lecture all day long and you wouldn't take a single note. I mean, it was definitely when he taught, it was a transmission. It was not, and, and I'm, I am like a massive note taker. I would all, I was always like, shoot, I didn't take a single note. How am I going to remember everything? I don't think I've forgotten anything. It's like, it was just this pure transmission. and. You know, I definitely think he did not talk about human design as being a labeling system that definitely was not transmitted in such a way that it was a static fixed thing. You are a this. It was basically a codification of how do we interchange? How do we engage with the world? And certainly, as I said, you know, I do think there's a certain brilliance in waiting, I think you know, the waiting piece is really important. I don't think that you can just wait, follow type and strategy for seven years and come out the other end. Poof, deconditioned. I do think that you have to do the work in that time frame. You have to consciously explore where have I internalized the message that it's not okay for me to be who I am or how I am. And that means sometimes we have to dig deep in trauma we have to dig deep in the ancestral lineage. Let's remember that Ra passed in 2011. The science of epigenetics was is just barely, barely starting. Our understanding of the protein coats that regulate DNA is infantile at best. And just that little piece of science and the understanding that we can carry up to 14 generations of coding uh, you know, in the protein coats that regulate gene expression and we know now that that's not just, am I more prone to diabetes or not? That's like, oh, did my family starve? Yeah. Was I a victim of slavery? Yes. That all of that data is stored on a cellular level. And that's in the design crystal, right? That we have to look at. There were parts of uh, uh, understandings that emerged after Ra's passing that are going to force us to have to reframe some of the ways in which we understand human design. And one of those things is we have to look at the deconditioning process and recognize that just following type and strategy isn't going to be the only thing for a lot of people. Sometimes we got to clear the trauma. Sometimes we got to clear the, the, the mindset. 
And we have to recognize that we are always vulnerable to conditioning. Even if the seven-year cycle is over, you're still going to open up your CNN news page and get conditioned by whatever's happening on the planet right now. And that's supposed to be what happens. And, and this is probably where I stray probably greatest from the traditional teachings of Ra's. You know, Ra would say, no choice, just follow your type and strategy, do, 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 show up and be the, be the, you know, the, 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 the manifestation of the program. I think we actually have choice. And I think part of that choice is that we get to look at the current conditioning field and say, mm, nope, I'm not going to continue to allow this to be part of the story on the planet that I'm going to consciously choose to do something different, to cultivate a different story. I'm, I can't just sit back and say, well, you know, children are starving in the Sudan, what to do, right? It's like, I'm not willing to live on a planet where children starve ever anywhere. And I don't know how to stop that, but I have enough faith in the co-creative process to know that if I hold an intention to live on a planet that is sustainably abundant, that is equitable and just and peaceful. And if I continue to hold that frequency, that I will be getting things to respond to on a daily basis to support the creation of that vision. Yes. Oh, that was so good. I have one more question and it's kind of, it might be a big one, but if you have the time <laughs> to answer it, I would love, I feel like we could talk for three hours to be completely honest. It's like bring it open, throw it into the situation. We'll talk forever. My question is, can you share, because we're talking about, you know, just sort of reframing the disempowering contexts around just types and strategies and the traditional human design. And like, I feel like it's just very natural for things to evolve in life, but I would love to hear how, you know, you started the quantum human design language. Like, you you know, for example, instead of saying manifesting generator, you're saying time bender. And I would just love if you can share a little bit more about that, because I think that it's just going to continue to support people to not take things so literally and just to be playful with this because it's meant to be a tool in our life. So first of all, I will just say that I'll, I'll maybe share briefly my story about why I created quantum human design. And, and then I'll, I'll reframe that through the lens of traditional human design and raw. So I, as I said, my background is in life coaching. I'm a nurse by training. I worked in a psych unit. I have a lot of therapeutic background in my nursing training. And, you know, I worked as a coach, even after I learned human design, I, I worked as a coach. I'm also one of the very first EFT, the emotional freedom techniques practitioners trained in the world. And, you know, after about 10 years from maybe 2000 to 2010 of working with people, I really started to see that my clients were changing. My, my client base was changing. I was getting people that were coming in for coaching who had already done a lot of work, you know, who had really already either gone to therapy or done shamanic journeys or whatever they ended up doing and who were showing up and really saying, you know, I understand the, the importance of deconditioning. I feel like I've been really working on that, even though I didn't know human design, I've been, you know, I've really been actively doing that inner work of aligning myself with my authentic self. And what I started to see was a lot of people going, no, nah, I don't like human design. It, it's very limiting. It's very rigid. It doesn't fit. It doesn't. And, and I personally was also having that same experience. I left the traditional organization in 2005 really primarily because I just could not swallow the no choice doctrine. I just really, it rubbed raw with me. My sackle was screaming against it. It just didn't work for me. I couldn't figure out how we could just be like, follow the sacral. It didn't work. So I sort of started sitting with, well, if human design is really a collection of ancient and modern cross-cultural archetypes, which is really what it is, it's just a Rolodex of parts of the human story that have been on the planet for, you know, the I Ching is 2000 years old, Kabbalah is even older, or at least around the same age, that you know, there's a lot of ancient wisdom in these parts of the story and their archetypes and archetypes aren't fixed. Archetypes appear on a spectrum. If you take, let's say the archetype of the hermit, you know, a hermit can be somebody that's hiding out in the woods that never comes out and sees the light of day. And a hermit can be, you know, an overworked single mother with small children who never gets time off, who's desperate for a little bit of alone time. And all of those, both of those stories 
are on the spectrum of being a hermit, right? And so if you say to someone, you're a hermit, it's like, well, what does that mean? And really what that means is whatever you bring to the table as part of your personal narrative around the themes in your chart, you're a hermit, you know? So I started to really look at, well, if this is an archetype system and we're really just looking at a Rolodex of these ancient and modern archetypes. And, you know, I'm trying to support my clients in finding a big enough story about who they are in, in their personal narrative that's gonna be big enough and strong enough to keep calling them forward, even when their life feels like it's falling apart, or even when they're grappling, you know, if they're trying to reach towards the fulfillment of who they are in the biggest way possible, we're going to need a different set of vocabulary words. We're going to need to really look at how do we talk about human design in a literally a higher vibrational way. So I started taking, first, I started going through personal growth and development and studying um, you know, different psychological theories around, you know, human growth and development from birth to death. I started looking at the words and the stories of the archetypes in the chart and really looking at them in their, in their root places, like looking at, um, you know, the, the channels and Kabbalah and thinking about, well, what does that really mean in terms of, you know, and you can't take God out of Kabbalah. I started looking at the stories in the I Ching, and then I started to look at words and really explore, okay, language creates, language is incredibly powerful. Language literally impacts DNA. If you take strands of DNA and you put them in a jar and you go to the lab and you start speaking gross words to the DNA, it actually contracts, right? It's ability to hold light and DNA holds light. Our, our nervous system and the body responds and operates through photons. That, that DNA contracts and its ability to hold light minimizes. And when you speak positive, high frequency words to DNA, it actually those coils actually expand and your capacity to hold light increases. And so I started to play in the lab with word frequencies and measuring word frequencies. And I, I don't have my, oh, I do have, well, I, I don't have to show you because we're not on camera, but I have a thesaurus that's about five inches thick. And I started going through the thesaurus and pulling out all these words and testing them in the lab to see what's the vibrational frequency of this word. And basically what I did is I rewrote all of the stories, all of the archetypes of traditional human design and put it into higher frequency language. Now, Ra always said that traditional human design is designed to be spoken to the not self, that traditional human design is for, is supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be initiating. It's supposed to be something people grapple with because it's the pushing against it that helps them explore, well, who am I in my experiment and who am I really? He always said he wanted to write a, an, an awakened Ray V. Ching, but he never got to. By, you know, when he passed in 2011, he hadn't completed that job yet. So I felt like, and I, you know, that this was sort of continuing the legacy of Ra. I don't, you know, I don't want to say I'm continuing Ra's legacy. Ra has his own legacy, but I certainly would say that he had an intention to write an awakened way of teaching and he didn't. So to me, this is just a way of reframing the language to speak directly to people once they have deconditioned, once they have done that work to help them construct a personal narrative that's big enough and dynamic enough to keep calling them forward. That was so beautiful. I loved everything that you just said. And I really, it really just means so much that I love how considerate you are of source material and what Ross shares and how we showed up. And you're also making space for your own vision and what you see because you're committed that people are empowered by this work. And I think that, that that's just amazing. And I like, I really see you for that. And I really love that. Thank you. Oh, so I have to end, I have to end with one, I think really important thing because because I do think there's a big conundrum in human design. And, and it's a conundrum that I think can be really problematic. And honestly, I think abusive if we don't hear that conundrum carefully and with heart. You have a pedagogy in human design. It's the human design system. And it is a body of knowledge that and any body of knowledge or any pedagogy or any teaching can be rigid. But the irony of it is that it's a system that's designed to teach you how to find your own inner authority. And so the conundrum there is, well, what do you do 
if within the teachings of human design, your own inner authority says, nah, this isn't working for me, or uh, that's not how I feel like it's right for me. It's very hard to have a system with that as a component. And so, you know, I do think that as human design teachers and coaches and guides, we have a very important obligation to hold sacred, not so much the system, as much as hold sacred the process of discovering your own inner authority and to protect that piece. Because I do believe that's the real intent of the human design system. And that means that you're going to get people that are going to buck against the system. You're going to get people that are going to take it and go in their own direction. You're going to get people that are going to fall in love with it and want to follow it to the T. And all of it is correct. Provided whoever's doing whatever they're doing with human design is following their own authority. We can't judge other people's authorities. And we can't tell people this is the way because there is no way. And that's very hard to do within a system. Yes. Oh, that was such a beautiful message. And I think that's such a great reminder. And I love the the inclusivity that you're bringing with this, because I think especially now we kind of started leaning into the business conversation earlier, but I think there has been a lack of inclusivity in the online industry, especially in the coaching industry from my own personal experience that I can speak to. And it's so to just be able to hear that there is a system that is designed to help us come back to our own inner authority, to come home to ourselves, to trust ourselves, to, to be curious to allow ourselves to be fluid with our humanity. I think that that is, that's such a beautiful message. And so I really, mm. I loved our conversation today, Karen. I think that this has completely just lit up the rest of my day. And I'm so excited to share this with my audience. And I, I just loved how, you know, it came on with Karen and I was like, just so you know, I don't have a plan, <laughs> but we're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna go with it. Cause these are the kind of conversations I love to have. It went where it needed to go and people are gonna hear what they need to hear. And it was beautiful. And so before I wrap things up today, I want to invite you and I'm gonna, I can put all the links in the show notes, but if you wanna share where people can connect with you, I'll put your book links, your website, all of it. But if you wanna share any upcoming things, I'm gonna have this podcast episode drop in early October. So anything special, coming up around there then you can share it now well awesome so i do have a new book coming out october 26th it's called the human design workbook it's the companion book to the understanding human design book so it's actually kind of a back to basics human design book but it's you know when i looked at the human design book market i really was recently i was like you know there's really not a good book out there for someone who just wants to learn about their chart and doesn't want to learn about everything in human design so this is a chart a program that is about it's actually a program through that goes throughout a whole workbook that talks that gives you the steps to actually write your own life purpose statement based on your design and you know i keep telling people every time you go through a new level of growth you have to recalibrate and really the truth is when you recalibrate, you're always just gonna be recalibrating with the basics. So I do encourage everybody to look at this book because you're gonna need to understand and, and you're gonna benefit so much from reframing your own way that you describe your life purpose. And I, and I say do it on a yearly basis. I literally go through this process myself that I outlined in this workbook on actually do it twice a year, once on my birthday and then once on Rosh Hashanah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really, really, um, beautiful way to bring yourself back to yourself and remind yourself, oh yeah, I'm a blah, blah, blah. And I'm here to do this. <laughs> um, I have another book coming out in December. It's actually, it's called the encyclopedia of quantum human design. It is basically a codex that, that translates all of traditional human design into quantum language and gives sort of a reframe of, of why I changed the language and what it means in the context of reframing the narrative in your chart. So you could get the human design workbook in October, study your life purpose statement, and then go back and rewrite it in quantum language in December. <laughs> so um, those are probably the two big things that I have coming out. I do want to just point everybody back also to, you know, I'm a co-founder of Grace Point Publishing. We are the world's largest publisher of human design books. And if you go to gracepointpublishing.com and you look up human design press, you'll see we have a a growing collection of amazing books, including a new book that just came out called Human Design for Liberation, which is all about how do we teach and use human design in the LGBTQ community and in the BIPOC community so that we're not biased with the way we talk about elements in the chart and how do we be culturally honoring of the components of human design. 
um, there's a, a the audio with we do audiobooks. We just have the audiobook version of the Empowered Projector by Evelyn Levinson came out last week. Um, that's an incredible book for those of you who think, oh, the projector, that's just bitterness. This is a, just a beautiful, beautiful book about being a projector and what does it mean and how do you how do you recognize yourself? That's so powerful. Um, we have, I mean, there's just all kinds of amazing books. April Porter has written a book about parenting by human design called Raising the Child You Have. It's a great resource to go if you want to learn more about human design. Um, so visit that as well. That's amazing. And I'll put your Instagram handle as well and website in the show notes too. So thank you again, Karen, for coming on and having this conversation with me. I absolutely loved it. And I just have like the biggest smile on my face right now. My cheeks are like hurting <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, I appreciate you giving me the platform to share. And um, thank you so much for being you and for continuing to carry the message forward. Thank you so much. So I want to take a moment to thank the listeners today for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and that you took lots of golden nuggets and that you're inspired about the fluidity of human design and how we can use the system in so many different ways. If you can please take a moment, make sure you subscribe to the channel. I always have so many episodes and amazing content coming out for you. This is like one of my biggest passions. If you could also leave a quick review, give it a five stars. That would be amazing. And be sure to check the show notes because there's going to be lots of links and goodies there for you to learn more. So thanks again for listening and I will chat with you in the next episode.